Hey guys, what's up? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. Today I'm going to be going a little different route here. I'm not going to be talking to a former major league player or a coach or a scout. I'm going to be talking to a father that is a dear friend of mine. Um, his son, his name is Taylor Smith. Uh, the gentleman I'll be speaking with is Ryan Smith, the father of Taylor. Um, Taylor was an amazing baseball player. Uh, we lost him just a year ago to alcohol. Uh, he became addicted to alcohol. And Ryan, his father, is going to share this story with kind of the progression of what got him into becoming an alcoholic and then the seizures he had, uh, the many numerous times that we almost lost him due to different circumstances in his life, and then ending up actually losing him a year ago. So Ryan has been brave enough and had the, enough courage to come on board and share this story with us. Um, it's raw. It's emotional. Um, so I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you actually learn some, something from this and that you can share this um, with your son, your daughter, to let them know that you just got to stay away from this stuff. So please enjoy this episode with Ryan Smith. Hey, Ryan, for coming to the show. How are we doing today? Doing well. Thanks, Chad. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, guys, I brought Ryan Smith on today. Uh, he's a very dear friend. We've known each other since I was a little little kid, basically. Uh, we had grown up in Las Vegas together. Our families kind of uh, moved into the Vegas area. He had uh, a bunch of boys, uh, got little boys running around all over the place. They, the bunch were older than me. And then we had one that was uh, his son, Taylor, who was probably, I, I guess you could say, he was more best friends with my brother, hung out with my brother a lot. and. We did a lot of things together. So I brought Ryan on here. Um, this is kind of, you could say, a, a different kind of feel, um, a different story. Uh, we, we actually lost Taylor. Uh, it's been about a year now, right? So uh, we yeah. lost Taylor. And I, want to, I wanted to bring on Ryan. I've been thinking about him a lot in regards to, you know, Taylor went through some things. And I wanted to bring on Ryan you today to, to kind of walk us through um, the things that he went through, you know, good, the bad, the ugly. And if you can just maybe we can even go all the way back to high school if you want to, and just kind of share his story. You bet. Absolutely. Uh, well, as you said, T Taylor was, uh, uh, one of four boys in our family. He was the third son. Uh, he was fortunate to have two older brothers who were very, very into sports, football, basketball, baseball. And uh, from Little League on, they, they, they all played, uh, played baseball. Uh, t t and, and I'll go back even a little further. T Taylor, at the age of s seven, was playing peewee baseball. And, and back then, it wasn't uh, coach pitch, uh, tee ball, or, or, or machine pitch. They pitched the kids from the mound. And, and Taylor was a pitcher from the age of seven. And uh, at seven, he was mowing them down. So, I mean, he, he started very early. But he had he had the luxury of having two older brothers that he just shadowed everywhere, wherever they were playing, he was playing, whether it was football, basketball, baseball. So he he got a, a real early start in in love of sports and, and more particularly baseball uh, as he grew up. And and at the time we lived in Utah, uh, and and they had all star teams for all all the kids. Taylor was on an all star team from the age of seven all the way up through the age of uh, whenever the last Babe Ruth is, 14 or 15, I guess, but before he got into high school, he was an all-star all those years. And a uh, couple of the years, 14 or uh, 13 and 
14, I think it was, they went to the, uh, the All-Star uh, World Series in Kissimmee, uh, uh, Florida, and got to play both years there. So he's, he's had an amazing career in baseball. He's, he started out at Green Valley High School. Chad was a junior and Taylor was a freshman, and Taylor was one of the starting pitchers as a freshman. Um, his, his coach, Roger Fairless, uh, um, he, he, uh, he used Taylor a lot, even as a freshman. He wasn't, he wasn't the number one or number two. He was probably number four or number five in the starting rotation. But uh, his freshman year, Taylor, they, 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 every year they'd go to play in a Lions tournament in San Diego. You remember those, Chad, the very, very prestigious uh, baseball tournament every spring in San Diego. And uh, the, the final game, they were playing for the championship. Uh, as a freshman, Fairless was out of pitchers, and, and he started Taylor the, uh, the final game, and Taylor pitched a complete game victory, and they won the tournament. So that, that was the start of uh, Taylor's uh, high school career. And, and every year forward, he, uh, he, he was one of the top pitchers in, in uh, the high school. And, and, and well-known around the state, much, much like Chad was, uh, followed by – Taylor had the real advantage of pitching when he was a sophomore and, and a freshman when all the scouts were there seeing Chad uh, play. And, and so they got to see Taylor as well. And so he became pretty well-known as an as a, uh, all-star pitcher for Green Valley. Green Valley had, had amazing teams back then. Um, all, all four years of Taylor's high school, they won the state state championship. I think three of the four years they beat uh, Bishop Gorman uh, to win to win the title, which, which was always a, a good thing to do. Uh, that, that was our big rival, um, but it, but it, it was a lot of fun. There was there was some fun baseball played and um, and, and just a lot of, a lot of good activities. And, and Taylor had some some great friends and and great people that were coaching him and helping him and seeing him through those life, life challenges of uh, baseball. Um, That's his high school career. And that's, that's the reason why Taylor got to where he was and and was, was highly recruited by colleges and, and things. Uh, He, at the age of 16, he was, he was offered and he, he accepted to play for the, uh, the U.S. Pan Am Games uh, over in Hawaii, and, and had a good time doing that. And uh, it was it was just you know it was base, baseball mecca. We we just he, he he loved it. We loved it. We we were we were his uh, family groupies, and uh, we're on the road constantly with him, uh, watching him play. So that 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 was his high school years. That was good. Yeah. So he was. He, he became a stud. Yeah, I remember being a – he was a freshman. Now, Taylor was, if you can kind of envision that tall, lanky – you know, you, you had some size in your family. You know, Biff, yeah. Biff is like 6'4". Um, Corbin's yeah. a big guy. You know, so Taylor was probably probably at least 6'2", I bet, this freshman year. Um, yeah. Right? So he – but I remember him coming in, and we had some players that were looking at being drafted. Um, so I believe he was a freshman. I was a junior, like you said. We had seniors that were above me um, that year. That you know, the scouts were all over the place. So it was a it was a great experience to see all these guys starting to come in. And so talk, talk us through and, and walk us through maybe his senior year as we kind of start to dive into. You mentioned college coaches were recruiting him. 
and obviously professional scouts were starting to look at him. What what was his senior year like? Well, his senior year was uh, it was it was pretty much uh, like his his junior year. It was just kind of a more more of the same, just uh, being the number one pitcher on the team and going out and throwing and throwing hard and 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 when he wasn't pitching, he was playing first base. Uh, and, until Dave Jensen came along, and then then <laughs> that that relieved him of that duty. But but he he loved he loved playing at the position as well as pitching. But uh, Fairless, uh, his his coach, he 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 understood that Taylor's Taylor's game was going to be as a pitcher, and so he he uh, pulled him off the field and made him a made him a full time pitcher. And 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 from that, the, the scouts really paid attention. They 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 were there all the time, uh, both. Both college and, and um, uh, pros, uh, the one the ones that were watching him the most were the Diamondbacks and the Blue Jays. Uh, they they really had had a an eye out for him, and, and I'm I'm not sure where they where they first started getting their uh, interest in him, but they 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 were out in droves. I mean, they were they were there for a lot of games, and not just Taylor. I mean, there were there were other kids on the team that were uh, being looked at as well. Um, to, to you know either for college or or to be drafted in the pros and so I mean it was it was like um, who's who of baseball uh, scouts at most of the games uh, whether they were at our home field or, or other other play places but, but there was a lot of them and uh, and Taylor Taylor had his uh, five um, college uh, visits that were allowed at the time and and um, got to got to you know, participate in some things to see what he wanted to do and, and how, how he wanted to uh, go along. He really wanted to play for BYU, but BYU wasn't recruiting him. So he said, well, you know, I, I, need, I need to know and you guys aren't coming, coming forward. So he just decided not to do it. Uh, at the time, Kevin Eberwine was playing at UNLV and, and Kevin had talked to Taylor about coming to UNLV and playing there because they had a really, really sweet program and it, it was really up and coming. And they had a new coach that uh, I think his name was Goldschmidt or something. But he, 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 had a, he had the program really going in the right direction. And he came after Taylor and, and really wanted him and offered, offered him a scholarship. And Taylor decided at that point, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to UNLV. I like the program. I like the players there. The coach is great. And so he'd, he'd signed his letter of intent to play play at hometown UNLV after going around the country and <laughs> seeing all these other schools. And I, I, I wasn't disappointed in that. That just meant more games for me to go to. What were some of the schools that he visited his senior year? Uh, Tulane, um, Arizona, or no, Arizona State, sorry. Um, uh, Florida, and um, I can't remember the others. Uh, it, it's so many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to paint that picture. Like we're talking about a really good pitcher in high school. Right. Yeah. So, and Kevin, everyone, one of my best friends growing up and, and he, he had an awesome career. This is member, if you remember, Ryan Ludwig um, was, was a year. Ryan was a year between Taylor and myself. So he was, I believe a 96 grad went on right. a great career um, with the Cardinals. And I believe, um, with actually a couple of different teams, and and Ludwig is actually a, at, at the time, my understanding is a minor league hitting coordinator, does a lot of things with the Cardinals right now. So that, he was in great company there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
So it was it was exciting to think that he was going to go to UNLV and we were going to be able to go watch him play and you know follow follow the team and that and you know it was just it was just, it was just good times. I think if uh, if Southern if um, the, the junior college there where where chat or where where Sean ended up, I think if that had been around when Taylor was making his decision, he probably would have gone there. Yeah, to play a year or two just to bolster himself up for a better position in the in the draft, but it wasn't there. It wasn't available, so he he signed at UNLV. Yeah, we had, we had one option back then. It was UNLV or Reno if you want to stay in Nevada. Um, I, there's probably that junior college up north uh, in Reno as well. But yeah, so kind of limited options there. So you either. That, that even today, you know, you have CSN and UNLV in Southern Nevada. So if you don't have a spot there, and, and if you want to stay home, it, it's that much harder. So that's why a lot of a lot of the top players tend to, you know, you, tend to leave Vegas and go to the Arizona Arizona States. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them also end up coming back because um, right. they they kind of realize this isn't what I thought it was. I'm not playing. You know, many different reasons why. Yeah. Um, so, so that you mentioned the Diamondbacks and the Blue Jays are, are really heavy. Um, at least they're showing, they're coming to the games, and the Blue Jays are starting to take an interest there. So right. as, as you start to get, what starts to happen as you get closer to the draft? What's happening with him and your family? Well, we're, we're hearing more from the Blue Jays. Uh, they're coming over and, and talking to us and, and letting us know, you know, what they're, what they're proposing. Uh, which really surprised me. I thought the, the the Diamondbacks were going to be the team to come after him because uh, Taylor and and uh, Bobby uh, Bobby uh, Pierce 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 Bobby yeah Pierce. Bobby Pierce Taylor and Bobby Pierce they would spend uh, I think their it was their junior year every weekend they would go to Arizona and play for the uh, the Diamondback uh, scout team so their scouts were watching. Bobby and Taylor every weekend play and I, I honestly thought that the Diamondbacks were going to be the team coming after him but they kind of uh, went away and, and the Blue Jays really really came forward. Uh, I can't remember the name of the scout but uh, he, he, uh, he was calling me uh, probably once a week for the first few days and then, then every day after that and he just was telling me hey we, we really want to we really want to bring Taylor on. Uh, um, what are your thoughts? And I said, my, my thoughts are Taylor's already signed his letter of intent to play at UNLV, and I think he's really got his heart set on doing that. Mm -hmm. And he asked me why, and I remember saying, well, he just thinks that he can uh, get bigger and stronger and, and uh, get, get some of that mentality behind him that he needs. And, and I think a lot of that had come from uh, um, Menlo, uh, Menlo Greer. The, the pitching coach for, for uh, uh, Green Valley, he talked to Taylor about it, and, and he says, you're, you know, physically you're, you're, you're okay, but he says, mentally I think you need to uh, strengthen up a little bit, and, and you'll be better off if you can play college before you go to the pros. And Taylor took that to heart, and he, he thought, well, he knows what he's talking about. So he, he did. He, 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 I, that's what I told the scout, and that's what, what Taylor always told him. They, you know, we appreciate you. We appreciate your offers, but here's what I'm doing. So that that was where it, that's where it stood on draft on draft day. He was going to UNLV. Okay, so he started to 
say, hey, I'm going to go to college. That's probably going to be the best option for me. Um, the draft was, this is, this is about 97 or 98? 97. 97. So, so the draft is, it's not, I would say unlimited numbers, but it was a little different from where it is now. Yeah, for right? sure. So walk us through draft day. There's probably that first round, second round, maybe that was the first day. Then you have, you have three days of the draft now. Um, right. This year was a little bit weird where it was only two days, uh, being five rounds, and then you have five a free agent type deal. So That's walk us through what happened on draft day, because he was obviously drafted. So what, what happened there? Yeah, well, the, he, the scout called us uh, the first day. He says, um, our number's up. We're, we're, we, we really want to take Taylor, but we want to take him if he's, only if he's going to play for us. We don't want to take him and then waste a draft pick for a kid that's going to go to college. And, and Taylor says, I, I, you know, I appreciate it, but I'm, I'm going to UNLV. So I think, I think it was the second round that they had called, and that was where they planned on taking him. So they passed on him on the second round. Um, I think then there was the second day on the sixth round, they called again and said, are, are you sure about this? Because <laughs> we, we would really like to draft you, and we'll draft you in this round, and we'll still pay you second round money. Wow. Taylor's mind was set up. He said, no, I'm, I'm still going to, I'm still going to UNLV. So they, they passed on him then. And then we, we heard from him on the third day and it was, it was a 33rd round. And, and we'd even forgotten about it because we weren't even following it after that. Uh, they called again and they says, we know you're going to play at UNLV, but we drafted you anyway. And Taylor goes, okay, well, thank you very much. And, yeah. and that was that. Well, uh, a after the draft, then, then Legion Ball started. And uh, so Taylor was playing the, the summer uh, be between leaving high school and going to college. He was playing Legion Ball. And, and the scout was there for every game. And, and Taylor was just knocking him dead in, in Legion Ball. He was, he was pitching like a big leaguer. I mean, he, he was probably throwing 95, 98 miles an hour. And, you know, it, and, and and here's the here's the fun part is Greg Maddox had, had talked to him and, and helped him out a little bit with some pitches and helping him with some control, and he taught him a he taught him a changeup pitch that made made it Taylor's out pitch. So he he would set him up with a with a slider or a fastball, and then he would he would you know come in with a, a fast another fastball, and then he'd, he'd throw this. Uh, change up that would just die on the plate and everybody was swinging for the fence for it. And it, it, it was, it was a great pitch and it was something Maddox had taught him and, and he did, he loved it. So he, you know, he, he had, a, he had four pitches in his, in his tool bag and, and, and was just doing great and, and Legion ball and no, nobody could touch him. And the scout finally called us one day and he, he says, I, I'm, I'm going to quit dancing around the, the park here. He says, I'm ready to sign you right now. We'll give you second round money and send you send you to a single A. Uh, we're we're bypassing rookie ball. We're going to send you on to single A and get you going. Wow. And, and Taylor had had such a fun baseball summer. He thought, I I don't know that I want to give this up. I think I'm ready to go. And and so you know we I said it's your your decision. And he said, okay, I, I'm going to do it. So he. He left and, and went to finish out the season uh, for the Blue Jays in their in their high ace uh, ball team ball club and um, then then he, then he played a little bit of fall ball after that and then he was ready for 
uh, uh, spring training next next season. So uh, that, that and the spring training, they they invited him to a big league camp. So he, he never really really never went to a rookie camp or to the minor league camp. He was always in the, the big leaguers. Um, he's, he said his his locker was in between Roy Holiday and uh, and uh, Roger Clemens. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were grooming them already and it, it, it's it's interesting i'm glad you brought that point up because i just want to emphasize to the audience here that like this is the type of pitcher we're talking about you know and and we're, we're not even getting into him as a person yet and yeah. and the dude he was but you know we're talking about a kid that you know this he was a future big leader you know he he had that stuff he had the he had all the intangibles to do that um and then things like as we kind of go through um, and to, to skip rookie ball, to skip all these things, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy because even today's game, that rarely happens, right? You, yeah. Yeah, college yeah. players is every now and then might go to like an A ball, a low A, a high A. Um, typically, it's a short season A ball, right? And high school kids are all going to rookie ball. And a lot of them end up taking two years to get out of rookie ball. And they get in there that first year and they're like, Wow, this is this is a lot harder than what I expected. Pretty intense, yeah. <laughs> he, he was he was a very mature ball player, and 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 the, the scout even told me he says, you know, he, he he played his rookie ball as a freshman and a sophomore in high school. He said he was playing at a level that most kids don't play till they're a junior or or, or a senior. Yeah, and yeah, and and he was right. I mean, he he was playing playing that much baseball that that young. But uh, but he did start to grow a little bit too. I mean, he, he capped out at six four, and and uh, his his weight got up to around two hundred. So I mean, he was like the ideal big league pitcher um, going in. Yeah, no, it was it was a good athletic frame, and and like you said, when he was young, that but freshman year back to high school, he was he was a rail thin, right? Which is most kids yeah. are at that point. Yeah. And then yeah. four, fast forward four years, it's like, man, this guy is really starting to kind of put it together physically so it's, it's yeah. cool to see so now as we kind of fast forward a little bit in his minor league career um he, he got hurt he got injured so walk yeah. us through the injury well, uh, let me let me show you this picture here this is i don't know if you can see that that's a picture of taylor uh <laughs> in his big league uniform uh next to his buddy in the triple uh, a uniform uh so taylor taylor had just gotten called up so he was he was going up to play in the bigs and and uh saying goodbye to his, his friend there in in the uh, sky Sox in uh in new york and so uh taylor taylor got called up and he was he was pitching he was he was actually closing for the uh, blue jays and he he had a couple of a couple of games where he closed and and did great and then the third game he uh, he closed the game, won the game, and he came out of the came off the mound, and his elbow had swollen up. He said it was like the size of a grapefruit, so mm. it just really swelled up. So he showed showed the uh, the, tra the trainer there, and the trainer goes, "Oh, geez," and he says, "Oh, it looks like you've blown out your elbow." Well, yeah. Taylor's, Taylor's been pitching since he's seven years old, and he's never had. <clears throat> Any any arm problems of whatsoever, and so now to have this was just totally devastating to me. So, 
anyway, they sent him down to Alabama, and he had uh, had um, Dr. Jobs uh, did did surgery. It ended up being Tommy John surgery. So he had the Tommy John surgery, and he they flew him back to Las Vegas, where he was uh, rehabbing there and going to physical therapy, and uh, and and you know he was he was bummed, but that what happened to pitchers and you know he, he wasn't he didn't he wasn't thinking that my career's over now he was just thinking I got to get this fixed and get back in the game well somewhere between um, minor league ball and getting up to the big leagues uh, Taylor had uh, learned how to uh, to go out with the guys and, and, and drink a little bit and when I say a little bit I mean a lot uh, if I, I went to a game one time in uh, Hagerstown, Maryland. Uh, I think it was their double-A team. I went to watch them play there one time I was in town. And, and uh, after the game, t Taylor pitched after the game. Oh, and, the, and the cool thing about it is while, while I was at the game, I got to throw out the first pitch. The only time in my life I'd been able to, to do that, and it was a highlight of my, my, my life, but it was very cool. But after the game, Taylor took me over to his apartment and showed me where he lives. He lived with five Hispanic guys because most of the guys on the team were from Hispanic uh, countries. So um, very few of them spoke English. And so Taylor was learning a lot of, a lot of Spanish. He actually spoke it pretty well. But at, at one of the guys opened up the refrigerator in the apartment and it was just chucked full of beer. Uh, and I, I said, oh, there's no food in there. What do you guys eat? He goes, well, we, we just, we get up in the morning, go to the training table, we eat there, and then we eat before I go to the game, and, and, or after the game, and then we, we come home, and he said, oh, that, the, the other guys, they do all the drinking. Well, I, I kind of knew better than that, because I, I knew Taylor's uh, bad habits would, would catch up to him. Um, and, and in high school, I don't, I don't think Taylor had a problem in high school. Although I think he had some friends that kind of steered him in the, in a, the wrong direction, and um, for Taylor that was that was not a good thing because he became very addicted really fast. But not not I don't think, and I don't blame minor league baseball for it. But I think the process of minor league baseball, where you get lonely and you don't have anything but your teammates around you, you kind of do what they do, and and you know better than I do at that because you you've been there. Um, if you're if you're not strong mentally and willfully, then you're going you're going to give in to those temptations, and I, I think that happened quite a bit while he was in minor league ball. So that that's kind of a back step to introduction to uh, where where Taylor ended up. But when he came home from the Tommy John surgery and and started rehabbing, um, he was. Uh, Going out at night with his his a, a few of his friends in Vegas, uh, high school graduates that you know didn't have anything better to do than to go out drinking at night, and he would go out with them, and um, it became a very habitual thing to be out every night. And um, he would go during the day to rehab, but then he'd be out at night uh, uh, drinking. And I I don't think the rehab was going as well as it could have because he was doing too much of the other uh, uh, extracurricular activities. So 
when it came when it came time to report back to the Blue Jays, he got he got he went back to uh, to Naden, Florida, where the spring training is, and and they they had him there for a few weeks, and his arm just hadn't hadn't uh, healed properly, and so they sent him back home, and said we you need to keep rehabbing and and then report back in in a few months. So he did. He came back home and he was rehabbing and drinking and rehabbing and drinking. And, uh, I think after a while the rehabbing was taking second second place to uh, the drinking and yeah. And so eventually the uh, the the Blue Jays were realizing that he what his arm wasn't healing properly and it got into a new draft season and so they they drafted him some more pitchers and and uh, said Taylor we're going to have to release you. So that's that's where they ended up on that. Uh, after uh, four years, he he was released, and um, that, then uh, his his agent was working to get him tryouts with other teams, which he was he was uh, constantly doing. But I think he was he what he he was more his depression was more than he could handle, and his drinking became more and more apparent. And so the, the tryouts weren't as successful as they could have been had he been fully focused on actually getting back into baseball and less focused on the uh, depression and, and the, uh, the drinking that he was doing. It, with some people, you can drink socially, and some people, if you have one drink, it, you can't stop. And Taylor was at the second. He, he, could, he, couldn't even, he couldn't even smell it without needing it over and over until he's just completely wasted. And unfortunately he had that, that chemical makeup where it didn't, it didn't do him any favors to even uh, get around alcohol. It, it just got worse and worse. Yeah. And I, what's interesting is when that was kind of all going on. Um, I mean, for me personally, I, you know, a lot of times, especially here in Vegas, you know, you, you come in, you have the off season and you kind of have a group of guys. They all start working out together, right? Pitchers, pitchers find other pitchers where they can go throw with. Uh, they get on that same routine and you're also working out together. Uh, position players are doing the same thing. And then kind of as you get closer to leaving for spring training, pitchers now want to start throwing to hitters. Um, I, I, I remember not really ever getting to do that with him because I, when I first got married, I was still, my wife was um, going to school up north, up in Utah. So I was working out with all the guys up there. And yeah. so, so Taylor and I kind of grew apart in the sense where I didn't really see him much anymore. Um, and I, I didn't know all this was going on, you know, right. and, right. and all, all these things. Cause I would have, I would have loved to just be there with him. And, and it sounded like he was just, he was kind of, obviously there was an addiction problem but he he had surrounded himself with with kids i don't know if it's necessarily players but people of influence that hey you know let's go do this and he was he was hopping on board yeah. um so so he gets released right and you mentioned there the word in their depression um some things are going on there what happens after he gets released well, he came home, and uh, the first few weeks were a little tough. I mean, he he, he still couldn't couldn't uh, do much in the way of of rehabbing because his elbow was still it was still building itself and getting stronger. So there was minimal things he could do, um, and, and 
I tried to get him enrolled in some classes at uh, UNLV because he is his, uh, his um, uh, he he had four years of paid college uh, yeah. after after he uh, left baseball, and I was trying to get him to to use that just to pass the time, and he 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 enrolled for a couple of classes and dropped out and never really finished anything because. Uh, he would just find extracurricular things to do at PT pubs and things like that, which uh, just drew, drew him in. So his, his depression got worse and worse, and as he would find relief from it by uh, grabbing a few of his friends and going out and, and you know, partying all night long and have, having a good time. And, and then he would come home, and he would, he, he would come home at three in the morning, and uh, he was still living at our house, so you know we we knew what what was going on, um, and th and this probably happened for about two years straight that he was doing that, and all the while he's thinking I'm I'm going to get back in baseball when I'm ready, darn good and ready to get back in baseball, and 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 I'm I'm pushing him to get back in baseball, thinking that that's the only way he's going to stop, uh, you know, partying and drinking so much. Well. Well, he shot through his uh, signing bonus money you know, pretty fast, and uh, didn't didn't have much more to to to, to spend and to, to buy rounds at the bar. I mean, he he was there being the big the big spender, you know, and the and, and the big show as they called him. And yeah. um, after that, after that was gone, then his friends started. Uh, they started actually. Most of them started getting on with their lives, you know, going to school or getting married or moving out or doing whatever and, and Taylor was just stuck it's almost like he was stuck in his sophomore year of high school uh, not knowing what to do where where to go how to do it um, he just uh, just depression was was pre real prevalent I mean we we actually wondered if he may be bipolar because you know he just was so off the wall on some of the things he did and and you know but we couldn't we couldn't keep him sober long enough to have him tested to determine if that was the case so that it, it just it just kind of got worse and worse from there yeah it seems hard because you mentioned he's he's still he's still living in your home through all this and you're you're probably seeing this with you and your wife you know be going like what do we do right what did he show that depression in regards to when he was with the Blue Jays, did they have any sense of that or any uh, any sense that he was going through an addiction problem? They they never uh, mentioned it to us. I I tried to get information from them, but they they didn't really come forward with anything. They they claimed HIPAA laws prohib prohibit them from telling me anything about him. That's true. Mentally or physically, and I and, and I knew that, but I thought I'd ask in, in hopes that maybe there was a, a rhyme or reason behind it. I kind of, I kind of think that when he went back and, and wasn't completely ready to play again, uh, they they still brought him back because they wanted to see how he was mentally. And then, and, and I'm guessing he probably wasn't all there mentally. He probably was spending his time drinking and not uh, not working out or doing anything. So I'm I'm going to guess that's a big reason why why he got released and. I, after seeing how he how he was, I honestly can't blame him. Yeah, and that they, they they had their own their own mm -hmm. business to run, and they can't uh, be babysitting every player. So 
Yeah, I would, I would have to imagine when they're, you know, you're dealing with trainers every day, you know, those people that you're, you're he's doing his rehab with, um, you have your, your strength coaches, you know, my guess is he, he may, maybe he was lethargic, right, yeah. going through all those workouts, and they're probably, probably seeing like, oh, this guy's not recovering at all, you know, maybe they saw the signs themselves, you know, going yeah. through that. Um, so, so he gets released, he's going through these struggles, he's still living with you guys. Um, like from your perspective as a father, like once there was a time when he like baseball was, I mean, you could say it was done at that point when he got released, you're trying to get him back. What, what is he, does he continue to go through this process of, of the addiction? Cause he, he probably doesn't know how to stop. He doesn't know how to stop and he, and he wants to play baseball so bad, but, um, he doesn't have a place to play. And he, you know, the only thing he's at that point in time really good at is drinking. And, and so he, he found that to be his, his out uh, from, from not playing baseball. Okay, if I'm not playing baseball, I'm going to do the next best thing that I can do. He didn't, he didn't put two and two together and realize that, well, I'm not playing baseball now. I better find the next career path that I'm going to go down. That never even entered his mind. He just, he just always thought, I'm going to get back into baseball. Uh, and didn't didn't realize that you don't get back into baseball by by being an alcoholic and, and drunk every day. Yeah. He didn't he didn't he didn't realize the uh, damage he was doing to himself physically and mentally. And as as a father, I mean, I I would sit down and try to explain things to him. Uh, I mean, my my dad was an alcoholic, so I I lived through that as as a kid. I I knew what was going on, and I knew what the end result was going to be. The only difference was my my dad was a functioning alcoholic. He could, he could uh, keep a job and you know and uh, and and still be drunk. But uh, Taylor wasn't the same way. Taylor would, he would just be completely wasted and, and nothing else mattered. Um, so we we we'd have our little chats and and I would take him out in the in the backyard and we'd play catch. You know, just to I try to just you know get him back into the game of baseball and. And uh, it, the problem with playing catch with him at that age, he, he threw the ball so hard that I, I, I couldn't hardly see it, let alone catch it. Still, yeah. I would put on Jordan's uh, uh, catching gear and I'd play catch with him in full catching gear because I was afraid he's going to hurt me. But, uh, you know, we would do that for a while and I'd think, well, this, this is all good. And then, then he would take off and, and we wouldn't see him for several hours and he'd come back. Uh, completely blitzed and I'd, I'd, you know I, I mean I realized that this this is a bad bad path for him and, and we got to do something about it so at, at that after after a little while of this happening we realized that Vegas isn't good for him he's he's got some bad friends that are influencing him and, and I and I trust me I don't blame the friends I blame Taylor um, he, he's, he's, this was all his his results and his, his fault um, he, he did have some influence from some friends, but you know he chose that that lifestyle. So anyway, my my brother lived in Denver, and uh, he you know he I talked to him. I says we don't know what to do with Taylor. Do you think we could send him there, have him live with you for a while, and see if he see if he can change? Maybe you can find him a job, get him something outside of baseball that he can do, and. Um, and, and, and Taylor loved my brother because, you know, our, our family is very tight that way. 
And so when we asked Taylor about it, he says, yeah, I'll, I'll move to Denver. And so we packed him up and moved him, moved him here. And um, he did great for about three or four months. Uh, was was working for a company and uh, my, my brother was watching him carefully. Uh, um, he was, you know, seemed to be doing okay, going to church with him and everything. And, and my brother had three small kids that were, were Taylor's cousins. I mean, they all idolized him. They all thought Taylor was just the best thing since sliced bread, and yeah. uh, so you know they 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 wanted to, to everything to do with Taylor, and then one night Taylor sneaks out and uh, doesn't come home for three or four days, and my brother calls me up and he says, "I I think he's I think he's doing it again," and they say, "Well, maybe he's on his way back to Vegas. I don't know. You know, we'll wait and see." Well, he he finally showed up again, and he was. He'd been drinking and he admitted that he had and he'd lost his job and he, you know, he didn't have any money left. I mean, he was just flat broke and lost his job. But my brother gave him several chances and, you know, helped him out as much as he could. And after a while, Taylor, Taylor found a girlfriend and decided uh, he found her at a bar. So he decided, well, I'm going to move in with you. And so he moved in with her and, and you know, of course, he gave her the big picture and the next league, big league baseball player, and she fell in love with him. And, you know, they moved in together. And uh, after not too long, we get a call from her. Your, your son's a drunk. I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> mm -hmm. Who are you? <laughs> who are you? Yeah. You have, no, yeah. you have no clue who this is, right? I have no clue who she is. So we we took a trip and came to, Vegas, or to Denver to – see him see my brother see him and you know find out what's going on we we met her we saw where they were living and she kind of told us well he he had a job when i met him but he hasn't worked since we since he's moved in here and i go to work every day i come home i'm not sure what i'm going to find when we, when we get home and, um and i and i i just looked at her and I says you know you guys are adults you're gonna have to work this out there's nothing more I can do. I mean, I, at, at this point, I, I want to grab him and take him home and, 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 you know, love him back into sobriety, but you can't do that. I, yeah. I learned the hard way that enabling your, your, your addictive uh, son or daughter only makes them worse. And, and I think that's probably what we did the first two or three years is we enabled and, and, and allowed it to happen and made, made Taylor a worse alcoholic than he needed to be. So we, we just told her, you know, you, you're going to have to work this out. If, if you want to kick him out, you're going to have to kick him out. But that's uh, not my call. That's yours. And, well, they, they lived together for a couple more years. And, you know, he would, he would work on again, off again. But he would seem like he had a job long enough to get a paycheck and then get a paycheck. And uh, he would spend it on, on alcohol. Uh, his resume uh, got pretty funny after a while. We, I'd, I'd help him with his resume. He probably had 200 jobs on there. <laughs> after a while, I said, "You know what? There's not really not worth putting all this on here anymore." Yeah. So, did, did he ever at at any point go through like Alcoholics Anonymous? You know, I think that'd be a question to ask. Did anything we, like that happen? Yeah, we we tried that in Vegas. Uh, I went to some Alcoholics Anonymous classes with him. Um, I helped him out with the the LDS Church uh, AA or not AA, 
ARP addiction recovery program, got him involved in that. And um, I, I'd always hear, you know, he'd always go to one or two or more sessions and say, I don't need this. I, I can quit on my own. And, you know, I heard that so many times. I just finally says, fine. I, you know, I quit trying. Mm -hmm. we, we, we spent, you know, thousands of dollars getting him into rehab programs, um, places where you're, you're supposed to be learning life skills and things like that. And um, he, he admitted to me one time after coming out of jail, he said, um, I, I only go to those places I, I, in jail. He says, the only thing I do is I think about when I can get out and get a drink. When I'm in a rehab place, I just think about getting out so I can get a drink. And so, you know, you just, you can only do those so many times and then you just say, it's not worth my money anymore. Yeah. 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 That's, and that's kind of where I guess me, my family, we, we, this is when we kind of started to learn and know about all this stuff was actually happening, you know, and I was kind of personally on the tail end of my career. And I don't know if this, the year kind of, I'm not sure exactly the year, maybe it was around 2006 or seven. And I hadn't spoken with Taylor and it's been quite a while, you know, and I had heard he was kind of struggling with some things. All of a sudden, uh, my brother, all of a sudden myself, and then we, and some other folks, we like, Hey, did we, we, Taylor just called, like, did, did, did Taylor call you? And he was, he was asking for money. Right. And, and he was kind of in dire straits. Like he was like, Hey, I, it was actually, it was really hard to, to handle. I don't say handle, but you could tell he was drunk when he called. Like you could tell he wasn't even himself, you know, this, this flamboyant, awesome kid as a 17, 18 year old, you're like, dude, this guy, it's not even the same dude, you know? Yeah. And, and, and if you ever been put in that position where, uh, you know, your friend, family member, they're going through some struggle and he's living in a different state. You know, I haven't seen him in well over probably a decade. Right. Um, and then he starts calling and asking for money, not only once, but a, like almost every four or five days. And I remember calling you and I'm like, Hey Ryan, what's, what's going on with Taylor? Like I had to kind of finally tell him to, Hey dude, like, cause I, I was actually personally, I was out of baseball. I had went through my shoulder issues myself and was trying yes. to actually back into the game. And I was actually personally on unemployment, you know? And I'm like, Taylor, I'm like, I, I can't help you. Like I, I have kids I'm trying to feed, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. So you feel awful about that. But then I, I had a conversation with you and you're like, like, believe me, like we have, we've done everything we possibly can send them to AA. We've gone through the church. We've done all these different things. So your heart is just like, ah, what is, what do we do? You know? Cause then you, you feel like there, well, there's something I can do. But then like you were saying, like the, when we enable it, you know, you want to help, but you're like, well, I can't just throw money at this and this problem's going to go away. Right. right. Yeah. So that was really hard to kind of go through. So I guess we fast forward even a couple more years, if, if not. So I had ran into Taylor. Um, he had kind of got clean a little bit. He was, it sounded like he was starting to get on track a little bit. And I was scouting last year. I was out in, uh, I guess it's been, I guess a year or so ago now, I was out in Mesa during the mm -hmm. WAC tournament out there. And right. we, we had been able to get a hold of each other. He actually did it through his wife, you know, who had no idea who she was. Um, right. she, she had kind of messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, I'm Taylor Smith's wife. And all of a sudden I start seeing 
pictures of Taylor, I guess is kind of proof, like this is my husband. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of strange, right? And then I eventually fast forward, I, I eventually get his number, we talk and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna, I scout, I'm gonna be in Phoenix in Mesa watching this tournament. And he was like, oh, I live right around the street. This is where the A's complex is in Mesa. Uh, he's like, I'll come to the game and meet you at the game. So he comes to the game, right? And I see him and, and, and it's, been, it's been a long time. You know, I could see in his face, like he wasn't the young Taylor Smith I knew. You could tell he's been, he's been through a lot, you know, but, but you can also see, yeah. So he, he shared his whole story and he, he started to talk about his health in regards to, he started to get some seizures, right? Things started to happen. Kind of tell us what happens and what was going on there with his seizures. Well, what, about 2010, um, we decided, I, I, I had retired, so we decided, well, we're gonna move where grandkids are, and Corbin and his family had moved to Colorado, so of course Robin says, well, guess where we're moving, Colorado. So <laughs> we sell a house in Vegas, and we're on our, on, on our way here to Colorado, and uh, um, we, we, you know, the, the thing we tried to do, my, my, my brother's a bishop in, in the ward, and so he's, he's been helping Taylor as much as he can, and he's, he's uh, put him up in a, in a uh, it, well, it's, it's a motel, it's, it's, it's a day, daily, daily hotel, motel type thing. He put him up there because he just didn't have anywhere else to go. He'd left, he'd left his girlfriend, and he was just, you know, basically living on the street while my brother with a big heart he didn't want that to happen so he he pays to have him you know living at this hotel well, we we moved to town and first thing i do is i go over there i want to see what's going on with taylor and you know let's find out what's what's happening here and so we go visit him at the hotel and he's he's you know down on his luck he's not had a job and who knows how long he's he's got a he doesn't have a refrigerator in this this room but he's got a cooler full of full of beer so I said pack up your stuff you're gonna you're gonna go home with us and, and of course Robin she's going wait 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 what <laughs> where he's what and he says this is your last chance Taylor he says we're gonna give you one last shot um, we're gonna help you out get you cleaned up get you a job and, and get you living a normal life well, he, he appreciated that, and he came home with us. Well, the first night he's home, he, he has a seizure so bad, we don't know what to do. And, right in front of you? Right in front of us, yeah. yeah. And, and we're, we're, you know, we call, we call 911. They bring an ambulance and take him to the hospital. So we find out that these, these seizures are a process of detoxing. Every time, every time he's not drinking, he, he's detoxing. And... He has seizures, so there, there's a doctor in our ward who uh, who, who gave him medication, anti-seizure medication, which which had worked for him for quite a bit. And then, uh, uh, but but every every so often, you know, if he if he goes off the wagon and starts drinking again, then when he stops, he starts seizing. Well, after after a while, it didn't even matter whether he was drinking or not drinking. His seizures got so bad that it just became a big part of his his life and and how how that relates to to drinking i don't i don't even know and, and basically the doctors told me they don't know either it's just just something that happens but it 
it happened enough that uh, you know it scared us, and so we got medication for him and got him got him as stabilized as we could. Um, at that point, we decided we, we need to get you into a facility that can handle this uh, as well as take care of your your drinking and get you get you sobered up. And so there, there's a this place called Harvest Farms uh, in Wellington, uh, Colorado, which is up by Fort Collins. And we found out about the program and asked him, you know, what do we have to do to get in there? And the guy talked to me and he talked to Taylor and said, would you be willing to do this? And gave him a, a whole bunch of ultimatums, you know, either you, you are or you aren't. And Taylor says, yeah, 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 I'm ready to do it. We'll do it. So, you know, it, it, it cost a fair amount of money, but it seemed like it was the right thing to do because it was a one-year program. Okay. And we figured, you know, one year's a good time. He, he, he hasn't been sober in a year for since he was in high school, probably. So we, we drove him up there and dropped him off. And, you know, he first night there, he's, he's, he's seasoned. And they, they call us and they go, uh, we know you told us about these, but just how severe are they? And we, and we told them, well, we, we, we don't know. But he said he's got medication, which we gave them because they have to uh, give him medication. So I guess for the first couple of weeks, they were they were little bit concerned because he kept seizing but they kept giving him medication after a while they went away a little bit because he was more detox he was more chemically stable um so he was he was doing well and, and he, he lasted in that program about nine months and then uh, just walked away from it he just decided i, I don't need this anymore and i get a call from him he's in fort collins and he says hey i'm up here in Fort Collins, I I'm done with the program, so so I so I left. And, and, and what do you mean you're done with the program? I said it's a year program, and as far as I'm concerned, you're three weeks short or three months short. And he goes, Oh, I didn't need it anymore, so I I left. I'm like, well, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm not coming to get you. And he goes, Oh, you don't need to. I I've got a ride home. And uh, so he some gal had given him given him a ride and. Um, on the ride home, she she uh, is driving too fast and flips her car, and and he, it's a convertible. And so Taylor, with his six four frame, you know, he's his head sticking up above the window, and uh, she turns the car over, and uh, he hits his head and breaks his neck. Mm. So he's got one of these big halo things on, you know, screwed to his head to keep his neck straight, and so. We find out that he's in the hospital, and we go and you know, uh, when, he, when he's done, we check him out and bring him home because what are you going to do? He's got a broken neck. Where else is he going to go? So he came home and lived with us, and was continuously having the uh, seizures while at home. So seizures have probably been ongoing for about two to three years at this point, and um, you know we're just don't know what to do, but we're not calling nine one one every time anymore. We're just helping to stabilize them. Uh, they seem to be getting worse, but they get worse even later on in life. So that, that became a part of his uh, his his uh, living makeup at that point. Yeah, so that's, and that's what I was shocked by when he, when he, as I were at this baseball stadium watching this game, and this is, this is like just a few weeks before the draft, and I'm kind of I've kind of done scouting, if you will, at that particular game, and I'm just listening to him tell me his story, and yeah. I'm 
I, man, I had no idea any of this stuff was going on. Like you, almost, you like you broke your neck. Like this is insane. Right. And then, and then he, he mentioned too, I think there was either another one or two other episodes um, where he almost lost his life, you know, and, and, and do you remember any of those episodes or can you share that with us? Yeah. He's, he's had several episodes where he's, uh, cause he's lived on the street. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's his his goodwill with everybody has has been uh used up and so he he's been living on the streets and he, he'll have he'll be at a park and uh have have an uh episode and be face down in the gutter and somebody will come along and find him and they'll they'll call the police or they call the, yeah the police and then the the paramedics will come and get him well he's flatlined a couple of times in the ambulance They've had to put the paddles on him to get his heart to start again. He's told us stories. He had told us stories about, uh, you know, seeing his grandpa in, in heaven and, you know, seeing, seeing if uh, his, his grandpa says, it's not your time, Taylor. You, you need to go back and take care of a few things before you can, can come here and be with, with us here in heaven. And that, that's, those are the stories that Taylor was telling us. So, we're thinking, well, how many how many lives does this cat have? Because yeah. he's just he just seems like he keeps dodging the uh, the bullet, and, and you know we're we're just not sure. I, I I honestly thought we would get a call one day, and let's say we found your son dead in the park in the gutter or somewhere, and you know we you know come come and identify him, um, but you know it it, it never happened. It, unfortunately, that. That never happened. Yeah, I remember us having that conversation where you, you were at the point as a father where you're like, I, I fully expect this call to happen, right? That the worst nightmare call that your your kid has just passed away, right? That, that something has happened. He's flatlined numerous times. Uh, he told me one of the stories of in, in Denver, we all know how cold it gets there. Um, he was just sitting on a, a bench in a park and it was snowing. I think he said he had a t-shirt and shorts on um, and probably flip-flops and was almost, I get, who knows how, he goes, I don't really know how long I was sitting on this bench, but I was like almost frozen. And somebody walked by that was just casually walking by and noticed that I was sitting on this bench and was kind of like, oh my gosh, like, are you, are you okay? Um, and he was like just barely, you know, probably shivering, probably had numerous health issues at that particular time. Um, yeah. And had to call the ambulance there, you know, and maybe that was one of the times where he flatlined as well. Um, yeah. So, man, it's heavy stuff, you know, that um, all this is happening with Taylor. And so I'm like, cool, like he's, he's getting his life back on track. You know, I, it's been years since I've seen him. Um, he looks good, you know, and I, I, we've, we've had a couple conversations. It sounds like, he got a job in Mesa through the church. You know, things are kind of starting to help. They're helping him out a little bit. And then we fast forward to the day, you know, explain, t tell us what happened on that day when we, when we lost him. Well, uh, how Taylor got to Arizona is there, there's this uh, ranch in Arizona called the Welcome Home Ranch. And uh, I had heard about it from my, my, my previous business partner that lives in Arizona. He, t he called and told me about it. Um, because he was trying to get his son in that had, had a heroin addiction. And uh, so he called me to tell me about it. And I, and I said, yeah, it sounds great. I just don't think I can get Taylor to, to do it because it's a two-year commitment. And so 
about the same time I get a call, we get a call out of the blue from some lady in, uh, I think it was Lakewood, Colorado, uh, not too far from where we live. She says, I, I just talked to your son. He's, he's in this park over here. He, he's, he's kind of turning yellow. I think he, I think he's, I think his liver is about shot. She said, I can tell he's, he's not in a good place, but I think, I don't think there's much life left in him. And so we, we got the address for the park and, and so we went over to see him. Well, at the same time, I'm thinking, how do we get him down to Arizona to this ranch? And so um, we went and we found Taylor and he, he was, I mean, he was just, he was close to dead at that point. And we took him home and cleaned him up, got him uh, to the doctor and you know, got him taken care of. And, and, and then I, I, call, I call this ranch and I said, Here, here's our situation. What, what do we need to do? And they said, well, we just need to talk to your son. And they said that usually we, we have a, an age range of where, we, you know, where we'll take him. He's, he's over the age limit. But it sounds like he, we, somebody we would take a chance on. And so um, we talked to Taylor. We said, Taylor, that, here, here's what we think. This is what you need to do. And, and we didn't tell him it was a two-year commitment because he did flat, flat out said no way. So he says, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. He says, when, when are we going to go? And so we had to get some medical stuff done and dental stuff done, you know, to make sure everything was good by the time we got there. And so we did that. And so about a week later, we're on our way there. And uh, we, we, we drove him down there because I just wanted to spend the time uh, talking to him. And we had 15 hours, I, I could talk to him, you know, and just because I, I I never knew I thought maybe this is my last shot you know? so we we get there and uh, you know we we walk into the place and he's very impressed with it he likes it he says I think I can do this and and then then the guy says well it's a two-year program Taylor goes like what <laughs> says, I can't do that and I said Taylor I've already paid you you have to I mean it was ten thousand dollars I'd already prepaid it so yeah you know, there's no way you're getting out of this. And I said, me and mom are leaving and, and you're staying behind. So um, he, he stayed there. He learned a lot of good things. And a lot, a lot, what, what we didn't know going in was that about 70% of the guys that were in this place belonged to the same faith that Taylor did. And so every Sunday he could go to church with these guys. And, and, and the, the, the people at the church, they just really, learned to love him i mean they just they thought taylor was great i mean he his personality the things he did and the, the the kindness in his voice and the things that he he did for the lord he just they, they just absolutely loved him and uh so he uh he, he he endeared himself to them and and he'd been sober for so long that he, his his old personality was coming out again yeah. and he was he was losing all of the the temptation that he had had and so we felt like you know we're, we're really off to a good start here and then and then uh, uh, one, one of the things they did there is they, they they boarded horses and so people would come in with their horses and they'd train them and do things and, and so he met people doing that and, and and his wife was there she would come and, and, and help out with the horses and, and stuff so other people were coming in and and he just saw her and, and they, they locked eyes and it became a mutual thing so that when he got out, she was there to pick him up. But we didn't know he was getting out because we, we 
it up, you know, hey, it's, it'll be a few more weeks and then we'll go down and bring him home. Uh, he called us up one day and he says, I'm out and I've got a girlfriend and we're getting married. <laughs> you what? <laughs> of course said, you are, right? Of course you are. Well, yeah, why would it be any different? So, uh, so yeah, they got married on, I think it was uh, July something, I can't remember what, but in the heat of the Arizona desert, they, they get married. And we, we, we're not there. We're, I mean, it was just a fast, let's get hitched type thing. And so they, they get married, he moves in with her and she has a job and he doesn't. So he's drastically trying to find a job, but he, um, he was close to the A's, uh, um, spring or their training facility and so he would walk over there and watch him play and just really really fell in love with with baseball again and he talked it to some of the guys you know and i i thought this would be perfect for him he could go in and you know, be a pitching coach do something get back into baseball that way and he you know talked to me about that and he said yeah i just i just don't know if i can get back into baseball i'm afraid it'll bring me back to drinking and and uh, you know it was, it was the first time in my life that i thought he really has conquered this thing, and uh, you know he's 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 really thinking straight now. And then then at church, one one of the guys uh, that, that he works with or that that he went to church with, he he said, I, "I I got this job. I don't know if you're I don't know if it's good for you. I don't know I don't know if you're capable of doing that." And he said, "But let, you know, come in tomorrow. I'll I'll interview you. We'll, we'll see what what it looks like." And, he, and the guy talked to Taylor's funeral. He said, "Taylor walked into my office, and it wasn't as though I was hot going, I was interviewing him for a job. It was that he was interviewing me as to whether I was whether I was good enough to hire him." <laughs> and so he said, uh, "Taylor didn't have any any knowledge of what we needed him to do, but he said I couldn't say no to him." And he said, "But he did learn everything he needed to learn." And he was in a really good place um, at, the, at that point in time. His, his life had really changed for the better. Um, the, the one thing that Taylor never did tell us, though, was that he constantly must have had pain because his liver was failing. Um, and the doctor tells us, told us afterwards that the, the, the liver, in, 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 when they did the autopsy, they looked at the liver and they said, how was he even alive? for even a minute they said he, he must have been in constant pain to even be walking around and, and, and we're going we didn't know any of this and his wife says we i didn't know any of this yeah and so um that you know that 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 was the the curse of 20 years of, of alcoholism you know it it not only hurts you physically but your your organs start to to take a real punishment and his, his definitely did so that that was what uh, uh, the autopsy showed was that his his kidney or his uh, his his did I say kidneys I mean liver his liver was uh, so bad that it was causing his kidneys to to shut down and and everything caused his heart to to function irregularly so he was having heart problems kidney problems and liver failure. And all the while, he's he's been working for this company and and learning things and, and pacifying his life and doing, you know, just getting on with his life 
better than he's he had done for the first uh, or for the last 20 years. So we thought, you know, this this is great. This is awesome. We we just honestly thought, well, this is terrific for now. But we've seen the other shoe fall before. When's it going to happen again? And uh, you know, it, it didn't happen again. He just passed away on uh, July 23rd uh, last year. Uh, and and he, he, he had an appointment at seven o'clock that night with the state president. And so was, he was then having a nap before he had to go see the state president. And uh, his wife went in to wake him up and he, he'd fallen asleep or he'd fallen asleep and passed away in his sleep. So couldn't have been any more peaceful than that. Uh, but at the same time, don't know how painful it was either. Yeah, I, I mean, I, as, as you could say, I guess, non-drinkers, we don't know what that's like, you know, what it feels like, how quickly um, you can get addicted to this stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that's that's what I noticed when I saw him, you know, in regards to not, I, I could, you kind of painted your own picture in your mind, right? And the images of, as he's telling me these stories of almost losing his life and the, the car accident and almost freezing to death. And you kind of paint this own picture. You're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is like a, it's a movie, right? It's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Um, but no, I, I mean, I, what can you, in regards to advice, you know, we have, we have high school kids, college kids, parents, young parents, what advice can you give to everybody about this whole story with your son? Never drink, never do drugs, never, never do anything that's going to cause you to be an addict, uh, whether it's uh, prescribed drugs or illicit drugs, or even alcohol. I mean, everything is just it. It it will tempt you at the beginning, and you'll think you can handle it. Everything you think you can handle are the things that you can't handle. And once it gets a hold of you, it controls your entire life. It entire it, it controls everything about you, and it it ruins your life and the life of everybody who cares about you. And so, uh, especially for an athlete, I mean, I know the temptation is there after a ball game to go have a cold one with the guys, but if you, if you have any propensity for, for being addicted to anything, don't do it. It, it will create havoc on you. And I, and I, and I, I've known that for, I mean, I, I never drank in my life because I saw what it did to my dad and I didn't want to do that. So I just never, I avoided all the temptations and I, and I, and I told, taught my boys about it. And unfortunately Taylor, Taylor just uh, didn't, didn't listen or he, he was more prone to following the crowd rather than being a leader of the crowd. But be, be the leader. You know, if other guys are doing those things, be the leader and don't do it. That's that's about the best piece of advice I can give you. That's awesome. No, I that's great advice. Just just don't even do it. Um, and where you know we were both raised in a church that really preaches that. That's part of our our faith and and a part of what we call the word of wisdom. Um, you know, no drugs, no alcohol. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what good it brings to anybody. Um, it seems to bring much more pain than good. Um, so it's it's a hard subject to talk about. Um, it is. I I appreciate you coming on board. Uh, it's super emotional. 
but you know what? I like talking about Taylor. Uh, you know, the good the good years were great, and and his last year was awesome. Um, it was it was the twenty years in between that that uh, taught us all kinds of negative lessons that we had to learn. From, that uh, you know, it's it's what we do. It's how it's how we deal with it. Yeah. Whew. This 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 has been rough. <laughs> um, and I and I knew it'd be that way. Um, but yeah, I wanna I wanna thank you for for sharing this. Well, thank you for giving me the chance. Um, I I do appreciate it. I I hope it helps somebody uh, down the line. Uh, if anybody's listening carefully, listen to the message. You're your uh, life and your mind is more important than that first drink you take because it, it could be the worst the worst drink you take yeah. well ryan i appreciate you coming on board um i'm gonna get this message out you know that's that's the best we can do right in this, yeah. in this circumstance um i am grateful that he was able to start figuring things out and you know that that light you know, was back in his eyes. And I know, um, I know he's in a good place. You mentioned he saw grandpa, you know, probably a couple of times. He's probably hanging out oh, with yeah. him right now. So together, I have no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I appreciate you coming on board. Please tell your wife, Robin, hello. We love you guys. We love your family and we'll be in touch. Thanks, Chad. Love you guys too. Take care. All right. All right. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.